politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So I don't know if you, if you guys have heard this, but there are some people who are tax counsel. They're telling their clients that if you make a payment in connection with a ransomware attack, yeah, to basically get your systems released, get your files decrypted, that it might be deductible. No. Yeah, apparently the IRS, so they say, is considering it. What do you guys think about that? I, I know. I think it's. I think it's terrible. I think I can't even think. The only thing I can think of that is a, maybe on that level of dumb is like I don't know, making like a chicken nugget smoothie. <laughs> it's 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 stupid, Travis. Ew. Yeah. Well, ransomware has become uh, so widespread at this point that it's almost going uh, legitimate. Um, yeah, there are companies yeah. that work for uh, that do uh, cybersecurity and uh, ransomware remediation that they will actually pay the ransom on your behalf. So they're sort of uh, functioning as the bagman for you. And they do the negotiation with the uh, bad actors. Yeah, but, but Travis, I'm not going to go. They're not making ransomware legitimate. They're legitimizing ransomware, maybe. And they're, they're finding there's a business sector right. rising up around the prevalent, the, you know, the ubiquity of these ransomware attacks. But Adam, I think... I can't think of any. I mean, that's like feeding the raccoons uh, around your house. It's just dumb. Well, the other thing, too, is that insurance companies, uh, you know, have reimbursed companies also when they've made ransomware payments, depending upon what policy people have. Although there are a number of insurance companies that are starting to pull away from that. Well, cheers uh, testimony so- to the fact that ransomware is everywhere. No, ransomware, as as you said, it is ubiquitous. It is yeah. terrifying. It mm. could be an extinction-level event for certain organizations. And there are enormous amount of dollars spent by companies to recover from ransomware. But I also believe that, that they're actually, the government should consider giving tax credits to organizations that do what they need to do to protect themselves against breaches and ransomware attacks. I mean- 100%. I think that's an awesome idea. I think that that's where, you know, part of government focus should be because we're all in this together. Yeah, but I also think, Adam, your idea is so good because there's there's the the one side you're saying, well, we should get a tax credit for having gotten hit. And the other side, you're saying, we should get a tax credit for making ourselves harder to hit. It's a very big difference. And I think the concept of getting a tax credit for making yourself harder to hit is important because the yeah. ramifications of being hit can be devastating. 100%. I'm Adam Levin, former director of the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs, founder of CyberScout, and author of Swiped, 
how to protect yourself in a world full of scammers, fishers, and identity thieves. And I'm Bo Friedlander, cyber, strange, warrior of bad actors. And I'm Travis Taylor, resident tech guy, and I uh, can't really follow up on uh, Bo after that one. So, uh... <laughs> so today we have Dan Beeler on our show, and he's the CIO of Boyne Resorts, and he has a, a really intriguing story for us, and it's a situation that has really been the bane of the existence of so many uh, businesses and government agencies and individuals throughout the world. And so uh, rather than give anything away, let's get to know Dan a little bit better. First of all, Dan, where, where do you live? You know, I actually just recently moved out of Panama City Beach, Florida. Um, our, our company is headquartered out of... Uh, Boyne Falls, Michigan. So up until about three months ago, I lived up in Michigan. A little better weather. Yeah, I have warm and squishy feelings about Michigan. I went to University of Michigan uh, Law School. And so I, I did spend a lot of time in Ann Arbor, spent a lot of time in Michigan. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. It is. So now tell us, tell us about your company. So Boyne Resorts is an experience company where we have a lot of ski resorts and championship golf resorts in our portfolio. We have resorts in, in Maine, New Hampshire, Michigan, Utah, Montana, Washington, and then British Columbia. And then we also have a, an attraction down in Gatlinburg called the Gatlinburg Skylift and the uh, Skybridge. But um, the company's been around for a very long time. It's a, uh, it's a really awesome place to work. And uh, we, we just uh, specialize in making great memories for our customers. Adam and I had a little debate before this, uh, th this call. And uh, if you make me right, I'm going to make five bucks. <laughs> Do you offer zip lining anywhere in the summertime? Of course we do. Yeah, that's a yes! big thing that we do. Yeah. I'm a rich man. We have lots of activities around everything from zip lining to Segway tours to trout fishing to just about anything you can imagine. Our resorts involved in it. Just, uh, you know, we, we love the outdoors. We like our people to be out in the outdoors. That's fun. I, the only time I was ever on a Segway, I did a Mr. Bean move and I ended up sort of eating it, but they're fun. I have a nine-year-old, so we're always looking for experiences. So we're going to have to definitely check you guys out. Yeah. They see the people at our resorts and they, they go through a little training session on the Segways. And then they we have the sort of uh, mountainized ones, so the big tires. And then you just see them zooming around the resorts. It's pretty fun to watch. So Dan, you do work with experiences, but I understand as the CIO uh, of your company that you had a less pleasant experience, not so fun. Um, but first, can you tell our listeners what a CIO does? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say that for our company, I liaise a lot with our business. Uh, I'm responsible for all of the technology in our organization. So you're, you're the cybersecurity guy. I am. We're a fairly small company, um, comparatively. So we don't have a specific CISO. So in my job, I, I'm responsible for that. Um, I also work with the business in a, in a lot of capacities. My job is to sort of take technology and make the business, help the business leverage technology so we can be more competitive. We can get some economy of scale. I'm also responsible for security, or at least the people on my team are. And you had a security event. We did. We had a very big security event. So October of 2020, we got hit with um, some malware. One of the guys from our resort, one of our resorts in Michigan, called me. It was at 3.30. My family and I were out hiking the Grand Canyon and um, 
called me and said, hey, we were having something going on. He was notified by our night auditor that uh, when she was logged in trying to do work, icons on her computer were starting to change. Whoa. And she, yeah. And she was starting seeing things pop up and um, all the files were starting changing to an easy to lock dot extension. So we got everybody involved. Um, I called all my vice presidents and all the technical people. We jumped on a quick call. Uh, we quickly identified this as malware, as you can imagine. We have an incident response plan. We started working the incident response plan. We soon realized that the gravity of this event was much greater than our incident response plan. So we had to slow things. So we had to, you know, sort of stop where we're at had to reevaluate what we were doing and it basically included this executive team and made some decisions immediately. Um, we started shutting down all the stuff that we could at each of our resorts. Our resorts are sort of decentralized. So we, we have everything based out of Michigan, but each resort has its own technical stack. Um, so we basically shut down everything at all the resorts and then started working on a plan to start recovery. But we were hit by Evil Corp. Evil Corp. So did they ask for one million dollars? Just want sharks with lasers on their heads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they actually did ask for a million dollars. They wanted a 90 Bitcoin. So at that time, Bitcoin was roughly would have equated to a little shy of a million dollars. Wow, that's 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 Dr. Evil money. It is. Dan, to back it up, did they once you you know, started doing your analysis? I'm sure you also brought in probably a third party forensic team to take a look at this. Did they, did they figure out how it started? Was there a, you know, what was the root of this whole problem? Yeah. It's really, really crazy that it happened like this. So we did engage with a CRA, which is Charles River Associates. They work in this forensic space and sort of help you come in and figure out what happened. We um, started working through everything there and we were, we were able to go back and we realized that they had been in our system since September 29th. The event happened on October 18th, so they had sort of sat in our system idly for around three weeks. Not idly, I should say, without manifesting themselves. What happened is um, our resorts are decentralized. We had a user at a resort who had unnecessary privileges. She had local admin on her machine. And ultimately, it comes down to one of our administrators out there being lazy and not trying to figure out what happened, what she needed to actually do her job, but took the easy way out and gave her local admin. She was out doing research on COVID law. She was at covidlaw.com, I think. And she clicked a upgrade for uh, Chrome. So she wanted to upgrade the version of Chrome. She clicked on that since she had local admin to the machine. Um, it installed and installed a hidden payload, included Mimikatz. And once that was installed, they had access to that machine and they started harvesting credentials. And then they just jumped around our organization. So we, wow. we had taken some safeguards to sort of, we had air gapped our backups, but um, they used some pretty interesting techniques to get that data. I can go into detail if you want, but it's, they, they were just willing to wait. So and, and and they waited for roughly three weeks until they got access to our, our backup servers because this would have not they would, if they would have encrypted everything it would have done them no good. And what were, what do you think what do you think they were waiting for? So I think what they were waiting for is is another. So um, that user ended up having to have an admin assister and some stuff. So when that admin logged back in, they had Mimikatz installed. They were able to grab the credentials from that, and then they were able to navigate over to a. Uh, our air-gapped backup solution. And they weren't able to do anything with the solution that we had in place. What they ended up doing was uh, actually formatting the disk array. 
So they ran a format on the disk array so we could not get, get any of that data back because there's, alter, there's ways to get that data back with your backup solutions. Uh, however, in this case, they formatted it. We actually sent the arrays out and we could not recover any of the data. So they, wow. they, they didn't do a basic format. They did sort of like an industrial grade format of this disk. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rope's got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works. Not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing, and I need to make split-second financial decisions, and that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks, and I trade options, and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. Hey there, campers. Look, if you have a story about being a victim of a hack, we'd love to hear about it. Give us a call at 623-252-1828. That's 623-252-1828 or email stories at whatthehackpod.com. Does Travis have any questions? Uh, yeah, just going back to uh, Mimi Cats. If I recall correctly, that's uh, a type of um, malware that uh, gathers credentials. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's. I don't know if you would call it malware. It's a piece of software somebody wrote 20 years ago to sort of show vulnerabilities with Microsoft. And it's been used like in hacking toolkits for the last, you know, whatever. I actually, you know, of course, when it would happen to us, it's not something I usually go play with. But um, when it happened to us, I went out and did a little bit of research. And there's a whole market out there for it. And, and there have different versions for depending on which versions of Windows you're running. And these guys were pretty astute and they were able to get it installed. Once they had it installed, you know, they started crawling our network, created a bunch of fake accounts and and does and they did the stuff that that all these guys do. So. Yeah, so it's a pen testing tool, but it's one that if you want to use it for um, criminal ends, I guess, uh, <laughs> it'll yeah. be pretty effective. You know, and it was it was complicated, too, because, or exacerbated, I should say, because we didn't have some of the general tools that you may have in some of these other places. I, you know, I came from a background working for some very large companies. Well, we had some of these, like we had 
an ADR and, and some tools on the outside. We didn't have those here. Again, one of those things I think is, is unique about how these guys operate is, is they take the lowest hanging fruit there is. In this case, they were able to go to a company where we didn't have an active EDR or MDR. And, and you know, that really slows our response and it makes it easier to get, once you get in this, uh, in, into the system, it's very easy for them to uh, jump around and to exploit us. And I think, you know, if we would have had some of those solutions in place, which we do now, um, it would have been a little bit more challenging for them. And you said that this was a wasted locker, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one thing that I've heard before about wasted locker um, that I wouldn't say this, that you're, that you got lucky, but uh wasted locker is known for being just a, uh, a single extortion mm-hmm. ransomware. Um, so did you ever have any kind of follow-up, uh, you know, threatening to sell your data or anything, or is that, you know, that escalated a little bit as the time, as it went on, but we never, you know, our, our research was uh, the same and that these guys were basically just an encryption. They come in and, and do what they do and they don't take any data exfiltration. We did have a seam and, and we, we didn't see any data exfiltration. And, um, you know, we, the, the company that we were working with was listening on the dark net and they didn't see anything of our data exfiltration either. Um, in that regard, it was good. The bad thing about these guys are, is, you know, I think we would have, we did consider paying the ransom. Uh, we have cyber insurance is one of those things we talked about, but these guys run the OFAC, the office of foreign exchange or for, foreign assets and control. Basically these guys are sort of state sponsored. And if you do business with them, we would have gotten sanctioned, um, by the government. So it was no longer an option. It's a cr- crazy story too, because we originally thought this was a bit payment. Uh, malware attack and we thought okay cool we can you know not that we would want to but we can recover quickly we'd actually changed uh, we engaged with them we given them a couple um, we asked for proof that they had the uh, decryptor we'd done it on a couple pieces of a, a couple files and proved that it worked we were within two hours of doing the transfer and uh, one of my guys actually looked at it and said I'm pretty sure this is not a bit payment this is a different uh, different variant we did some more research and we engaged with the folks at CRA and they're just like, yeah, you know what? You're right. You, you, it looks like you're right. And it'll be wasted locker and evil corp. <laughs> and uh bit was also from evil corp. It right? was, yep. yeah, I believe it was. Yeah. But I think what happens is these guys matured. I, I read an article recently that said these guys are actually um, using tools to sort of cover up that it's them now. And they're actually pretending to be other other players in the space because they're on the OFAC and it's not legal for American companies to pay them. Yeah. It's always good dependent on the other guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially in this but case. Now, so how did it ultimately resolve itself for you? Did, how'd you get the data back or. So that's a good question. We didn't really get the data back. We had been in the process of moving a bunch of our stuff to the cloud. Uh, we're in the Azure cloud space and uh, we um been working on that we ended up going back to a, a copy of data that we had in the cloud and then my amazing team and the amazing folks i work with basically spent the next five weeks rebuilding all of that information to get us back and running the the thing that happened is is the this event happened in mid-october we really start hitting our stride as a company for skiing and, and we start opening back up for in late November around Thanksgiving. We get super busy in December, January, February, as you can imagine. Right. 
this event happened probably at the most opportune time for us. You know, there's never a great time to have your business taken away, but this was sort of one of the better times that could have happened. So we had a five-week runway to rebuild our ski solutions, to rebuild our payroll solution, to rebuild everything. And we did. Uh, you know, like I said, my team did a great job. And we did have some stuff in the cloud that we could recover. We used some of the tools out there from some of our other partners to sort of roll back and get the encryption out of the environment. And uh, we rebuilt everything from the ground up, all new AD environments. We didn't want to risk having any of that stuff in place. So we took a lot of steps to make sure that we were not going to turn everything back on to have, uh, still have the bad guys in our network. Have we heard from them? Have we heard from them again? We have not. Uh, so uh, the sort of way this sort of works is, at least in our case, we engage with a legal, legal company. They helped us. They put us in touch with the folks of the forensics team. And the forensics team at CRA handled most of the work when it came to interacting with the bad guys. We didn't really do that. I mean, we have we have a conversation. They eventually lowered the, lowered the request down to 38 Bitcoin. They started at 90. So roughly, you know, 40% of what they were asking before. Right. Just because they wanted to get paid. Again, these guys are all about the volume. Um, you know, Travis was right. They're not really extorting you for credit cards. At least at that time, they weren't. They were just coming to do, uh, we talked to the FBI, they said they do between uh, four to seven a week, and it's just about numbers for them. But they're, but they're um, nowadays, I think we're seeing more ransomware attacks where they're, um, it's kind of like a hunter that uses every part of the animal. They're, they're exfiltrating data, they're selling it, they're using it, they're keeping things, they're giving you back data after they've already used it. Is that, are, you, are you hearing about that out in the, out in the wild? We are, yeah, that's exactly. Even these guys, a lot, a lot of guys who used to just do the, you know, encrypt and, and hold your data ransom have migrated into additional facets of that attack scheme. So they're doing, they're holding your data. They're also selling your credit cards. They have any PII they have, they're selling that. So it's definitely evolving. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means... You get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S dot com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
No, we've, we've even seen cases where they not only sell the data, but then they go to the people whose data it is when there's a, when there's consumer data or employee data involved, and they say, "What's it worth to you now for us not to uh, to sell your data?" <laughs> even though they've already sold the data, they're going to the individuals. There was a, the case of the uh, uh, some plastic surgery uh, uh, practices where first they hit the practice, then they went to the patients and said. Uh, how would you like your before and after pictures distributed on the web? Oh, man. So, yeah. So, I mean, there is, you know, it's sort of like, have you no shame? Uh, they have no shame. It's, you know, it's basically all about the money. And it's it's about how they can be as efficient as possible in extorting as much as possible as quickly as possible. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's turning into the ransom as a, ransomware as a service has is, is really blossomed into a full fully formed multi-silo business uh, that that they're operating. And uh, so it's, I mean, do you agree with that from what you're seeing, Dan? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, that's what we heard too from the folks that we spoke, spoke with at, at the FBI and from CRA. It's all about a service now. You, anybody with a little bit of technical knowledge can go out and do this extortive stuff with this service, especially if your targets are small. You know, if you're going after you know, uh, cosmetic surgery places, or you're going after, you know, the little mom and pop stores whose data is important, but, you know, you can go in there and, and hit those places pretty easily because they don't have a lot of defenses. And they will pay. Most of them they, will pay. They almost because, have to. Yeah. So what's what's been the learning experience from this? And I know it was a painful experience, but, uh, you know, wh- how do you feel you've learned from this? Uh, great question. You know, if you don't learn something from this, I think you you took an opportunity. You really missed an opportunity. For us, we uh, we take security a lot more seriously now. Not that we didn't before. Um, you know, like I said, I came from some places where we had dedicated teams to do that. Being a smaller company, it's a it's a little harder to dedicate an FTE around that. Um, subsequently, we we've got a full time person doing security. We actually have a couple of people doing security. We participate in a lot of roundtables and sharing of data. These type of calls for me are super important because I want to make sure everyone out there doesn't get caught in the same situation we were. Additionally, you know, we've taken a lot of steps afterwards uh, just as an organization. We, we uh, you know, we put in a new XDR solution. We use MFA for everyone. We, you know, we got around some of these things by not doing some of the, you know, we're trying to save a little bit of money by not doing all these things that, you know, that is out the window. Now everything is, uh, anything we can do to sort of decrease the threat, uh, threat, surface and we do as long as it's not exorbitantly expensive but everything from data lakes to to share data we have a sock that helps us identify threats and to address them as quickly as possible we've expanded our incident response plan so our incident response plan is um is no longer you know when we i built it when i first started here i've been here for about three and a half years and and it just didn't encompass everything that we, we saw happen to us in the malware event so it's much more sophisticated now. We do a lot of tabletop exercises around how do we recover and, and what can we do in that space. No, and that and and that's very important because uh, just as the sophistication of the hackers evolves and the sophistication of the malware evolves, uh, so that you know each time somebody figures out a solution, they tweak it just one more way in order to evade. Uh, anyone discovering them, uh, the sophistication of the of the breach response plans have to also evolve, uh, because unfortunately every day is a new adventure, 
And a lot of companies, I think, have also learned that you could be totally secure at 9 a.m. and at 9.01, somebody clicks on the wrong link or somebody gets access to credentials that would allow them to get deeper and deeper into the company. That's that's all you need. And then you're there and it it's a nightmare. And without question, the call that you received while you were in the Grand Canyon, it made you feel like you were falling into the Grand Canyon. Oh. And it, it's, it's a terrifying call to receive. I know myself with the companies that I've been involved with over the years, uh, the one thing nobody ever wanted to get was that phone call ever. And it usually came in the middle of the night. Yeah, it's an awful feeling. I've been doing this for almost 30 years. And I have a question for you, Dan. Um, are you um, conducting any kind of anti-phishing uh, uh work at your company? Do you test your employees periodically and, and try to fish them and see if they fall for it? We do. So we, we put that in after we got, uh, after we had our events. So we use a tool now and we fish, we fish them at least a couple times a quarter and they have to go through training when they start. And the people who uh, continually get fished have to go through remedial training. How, yeah. How is the fishing? Has it been pretty good? Catching? It's anything? been pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, you know, uh, it's uh this is not the kind of fishing that you want to be good, but it's been pretty good. Ah. No, the, uh, often they say that, uh, um, you know, someone will say, great news. I've got it to the point now where 93% of our people don't fall for it. The answer is all yeah. you need is one. Yeah, we have to be right all the time. They, they just have to get lucky. Yep. That's it. That's it. And that's the tough part for any defender is how can you be right all the time? No one. You know, other than my mother is right all the time. So, <laughs> you know, we sort of feel that way. I mean, um, I, I, hopefully we don't have a, a, an attack at the gravity that we had the last time. But I don't know that you can say that we're never going to get attacked again. And, and we've, like I said, we've done a lot of things to make that more difficult. But in reality, our the, the right approach to this is, you know, is, is to keep them away as long as you can, restrict what happens when they get into your environment, and recover as quickly as possible. So we've taken a lot of steps in that space to make that happen. We use immutable backups now. We have we have a lot of things in place now to uh, if if and when they get into our environment, we've used a lot more segmentation. Uh, we have some east west firewalls. We do a lot of things to prevent them from jumping around an organization, sort of like a submarine where you can cordon off an area of the sub if you get hit by a torpedo. That part is you know that part's damaged, but the rest of it's still intact, and you're still be able to move forward. That's sort of the approach we're taking right now. Well, and you have to compartmentalize things because the bottom line is breaches have become the third certainty in life behind death and taxes, unfortunately. You're absolutely right. I, I, if I had one thing to say, I would just say, make sure that you're looking at your plan continually, making sure that you, you, you have the right story to the executives in your company or to your leadership to make sure that you get the right funding you need. And, and there's a, a good story to be told there. It's sort of like insurance. People never want to buy it until they have an accident. And then they were like, oh, I wish I had that. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's how security is. You know, it's the same adage we've heard a million times, but it's really important. A study came out recently finding that 80% of ransomware vict uh, victims have uh, end up getting hit again. Um, so it sounds like you're doing all the right things in terms of uh, really just amping up your uh, defenses against that. Yeah, like I said, we're doing as much as we can to defend, but... If something does happen, our plan is to have a really quick recovery response. So our 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 um, you know recovery time objectives are are pretty aggressive because we do a lot of online business. So it's important to have those our systems up and available. So we're doing our best to make sure we have that. 
but we've put a lot of things in that if something does happen, we can recover quickly. Well, it sounds like you're doing a great job. And, and I fully understand exactly the nightmare that you went through. I have total empathy for what you, what you went through. And uh, I, I, and I think everyone here would like to congratulate you on the, on the work that you're doing and the effort that you put in. And more importantly, the fact that you're willing to share your story uh, so that other people can not go through the nightmare that you had to go through. Yeah. So, well, I appreciate you. This is a great vehicle. I love the idea of what you guys are doing. Get people uh, so people understand what's going on out there, understanding the risk. Talking about it is as important as anything. Commend you guys on that as well. First step is admitting you have a problem, right? It is. Yeah. <laughs> well, round of applause, man. Thank you so much for um, joining us. It really was 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 eye opening. My pleasure. Take care now. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. What the Hack is a Loudtree Media production in partnership with Large Media. That's L-A-R-J Media. You can find What the Hack wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on social media and find more information at adamlevin.com.